Hi guys, welcome to the Church Split. What follows is a conversation we had with Pastor Nathan R. Rager. And just so you're aware, we're doing this intro for you real quick because things do get heated at the beginning. So for those of you guys who enjoy the tea, there will be some of that. But it does actually calm back down. Um, just so you know, we started off discussing some Twitter background and what led to this and what led to this conversation. And that's where things kind of built up from there. So it's not... So, so those who are more here for like the, the biblical discussion, bear with us as that goes on. But for those of you who are, I guess just want a bloodbath, I guess you'll enjoy that and then to dis be disappointed in the end. So uh, appreciate you all sticking around. It's, it's a long conversation, but I think it's a, it's a good one. I think it's one that it shows a lot of things that um, we got going on and things that are important to discuss. And I think you'll notice some Oh, why it's important to understand context of scriptures and why it's important to uh, study it within its proper context and not to make exception to the rules on how we interpret it, too. And I think, too, I think when you're getting kind of frustrated with someone who disagrees with you on a biblical point, we are all about church unity. You could see we could easily stop the interview at some point in time here and go, OK, this is just unfruitful and just give up. But we pushed through and we did get actually some quality conversation towards the end. And we'll include all that. But just stick with it. I think you're going to see that progression. And hopefully that progression helps you as you have discussions with people that might disagree with you too. Yeah. And one quick thing to add, uh, you'll notice what gets heated is the fact of when having productive conversations, it's okay to be asked pointed questions. But if our first result, our first like go-to, our, our knee-jerk reaction is to just a, a to presume something about somebody or just make presumptuous attacks or like, you know, question their intellect. I think w that is instantly going to create inflammatory things. I hate ad hominem attacks. So, um, you know, I, the only exception I uh, had was uh, this right here when I was pointing out a hypocritical moment and that was my point. So anyway, uh, thank you guys for tuning in to Church Split. I hope you enjoy this conversation and hang out till the end. Hi, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will, and we have Brian with us today, and many of you guys are familiar, familiar with the co-host here. Uh, we have a special guest with us today. We have Pastor Nathan Rager, pastor of, what is it, Tampa Bay Baptist Church? Help me out. Baptist Church of Tampa Bay. Oh, goodness. Baptist.tampabay.com. I, I knew I was going to get it wrong. Okay. So anyway, many of you guys have already seen our rebuttal video or listened to our rebuttal uh, to the... Uh, the Fundamentalist Thunder. I might be getting all your names wrong, so just bear with me. I'm terrible with it. He can never say anything I right. can't say anything right. <laughs> so anyway, um, but we have hit, I had him on, and here's a general rule, because I had some people be like, no, don't talk to him. Uh, the thing is, is I have a general rule, which is if I have, if we are going to rebut somebody, we can at least have a conversation with that person, too. Uh, it's just, it, it, otherwise, I feel like I'm hiding behind a screen or hiding behind my keyboard, and I just don't think that's fair. And also, uh, we are about uniting the divided body, even though we are called the church split, we are about uniting the divided body, which means that we need to be able to have conversations, even if you don't typically enjoy those conversations. So anyway, that is why we do this. As a general rule, we have open for anybody. If we do a rebuttal video against you, you are more than welcome to come on. Uh, most people don't typically take us up on the offer. So um, whether, you, uh, whether you agree with Pastor Nathan Rager or not, uh, you know, if nothing else, I'd hope you'd be able to have a, have, have a conversation with him. So um, anyway, so Nathan, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm, I'm too blessed to be stressed. Well, I just got done going soul winning. I got cussed out. I got threatened. And I came, oh, bless her heart. This is sad. I got that close to leading a sweet old Catholic lady to Jesus Christ. 
So I guarantee there's nothing y'all can throw at me uh, that's not going to be like uh, babysitting preschoolers and at a at a at a camp meeting, amen. You haven't had a you haven't had many discussions with Brian, have you? <laughs> I throw things. <laughs> it gets violent. So anyway, uh, so that's okay. Break your stuff. I'm not there. <laughs> yeah, I'll be the oh, one catching. Man. I'll be the one catching the hands, the the holy hands. Uh, so anyway, uh, so lay hands on no man suddenly only applies to ordination. If you want to punch him in the face, go for it. In the flesh. <laughs> um, so, all right. So, real quick, you know, you uh, we have had previous conversations, and we uh, we had a fun, fun, quick moment in the Twitterverse, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. But uh, you were on, so you uh, went through, you started this podcast. We wanted to start somewhere probably where we would have common ground before we jump into all the rest of the stuff. But you said you told us that you had taken it down. You moved to Rumble, right? You moved the podcast to Rumble, and that's because you were experiencing YouTube censorship. So what happened? <laughs> okay, so basically, uh, uh, for clarification, because I know you all addressed this in your podcast, there's a difference between publisher versus platform. So like uh, if Zondervan uh, or uh, Universal Music Group or Sony Music Group uh, chooses to endorse Catholic musical artists and charismatic musical artists and... Uh, woman preachers, et cetera, et cetera. That's an endorsement. That's a publisher. That's why Section 230 is so uh, straight out of hell ridiculous, is because uh, when YouTube is a public platform, uh, unless it's like child pornography, pornography, or threats of criminal activity or organizing criminal activity, you don't have a right to censor. You were given a Section 230 exemption. We were on a platform and uh, that, that, that YouTube didn't endorse us. We didn't endorse YouTube. We went to the public square, okay? And uh, so I wanted to get that out of the way. But long story short, uh, it was very recently they put a rule into effect that you could not criticize the lockdowns. You could not criticize the election results. And as a result, I'd like to sound so glamorous to say a... Uh, Oh, yeah, I organized the biggest anti-LGBTQ plus P conference and uh, got banned from YouTube immediately. Okay, that's the guy in Orlando. That's not me, okay? <laughs> I, I'm not, you know, I'm not having delusions of grandeur. One of them was a private video uh, where, I, where I said, where I was talking about how lockdowns are unbiblical because of Hebrews 10.25. And then the other one, they went and their algorithms started going back on me. And I, I preached a sermon called... Uh, the Nephilim live question mark, and I uh, went through world history and preached on the gender fluidity of ancient paganism. And uh, long story short, uh, now again, I believe that the so-called Nephilim were demon-possessed people, not that like uh, like angels were coming down because angels don't have physical bodies. Okay, but they got me on that. I mean, it was just. It was nothing glamorous. It was just their algorithms are set up to detect. And when you say they got, so I had to quickly delete everything, and so I could go on after my uh, two week suspension and just post a commercial saying, "Meet me on." Run. So wait, so, That's so what they happened. got a, so they actually gave you a suspension. Is that is that what you're saying? They issued a suspension toward your, because your channel, your channel was small. Like so, they even noticed your small little channel. Is that what you're saying? Right. We're we're much bigger on YouTube than we are. I'm sorry. We're much bigger on Facebook than we are on YouTube. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, in fact, the video that I posted criticizing the lockdowns, that was not even a public video. That was actually tagged 
uh, and, and taken down a one hour after I posted it as a private video for storage use. Oh, wow. Okay. So, all right. So that was one of the things I was wondering, like, wow, because I, you, I would figure that one, like they don't really watch channels that have like less than a thousand where they don't even have to worry about monetizing them kind of thing. So that's interesting. Uh, that, that helps answer that question for you me. You pissed them off so fast, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to keep in mind, I'm the most hated preacher of 2020. I mean, look at the internet. I mean, they, they, they hate me with a perfect hatred. <laughs> <laughs> Get that on your mantle. That's a black. Put it on your resume. Uh, sure, many people. Will be. So, okay, well, we could talk about YouTube censorship all day and the censorship that's going on and cancel culture and all that probably all day. We'll probably find a lot of common ground in that. But, uh, of course, that's probably not the most interesting part of that. Of course, we could always uh, have a separate conversation maybe some other time, have you on in the future, and we could talk more about our common grounds and all that good jazz. But before we get too much into all that, so um, – when it came to, obviously, what led to us this, having even this conversation was our, our original rebuttal video, which spawned from Twitterverse. And uh, I call it Twitterverse. I don't like calling it Twitter. Twitterverse is more fun. Uh, so basically what had happened was... Using uh, that, that phrase. What did you say? I'm just a trendy pastor using that. I'm, I'm just a trendy pastor. <laughs> um, so the thing that basically that happened, so, we, I mean, there is a lot of background. I know you and our, you were on RFP, then they had a, had a follow-up episode, and then I think there was some bad blood that essentially happens in spats took place and then what we saw was a tweet from you uh, essentially saying that your uh, that their wives are fat but I mean you didn't say fat uh, I didn't use the word but I will uh, uh, okay so long story short I'll just get this out of the way I didn't actually call their wives fat. He said not skinny. JC Groves uh, I said they're not skinny Which... I mean look I mean <laughs> A 300-pound preacher calling saying someone's not skinny is not an insult, okay? Oh. I mean, I'm the only one who says, hey, you go first. I mean, the 300-pound man of God is going to be the last one in, the, in line for the potluck. And my 100-pound wife eats like three times more than I do. So, I mean, it's it's just kind of like a standing joke. I mean, it's not, you know, but I mean, I brought up the hypocrisy of it. And But that being said, and his response was to translate it to call her fat. I said not skinny. He said fat. And he posts a video of her in those spray-on britches, you know, to sort of like, and, and I don't want to get ugly about it, but he, he, he objectified his wife and humiliated his wife uh, to make virtue signaling points with his liberal followers and to also take a jab at fundamental Christianity. Well, I, well, okay? I think we're being a little presumptuous calling him, calling his, his followers liberal there, but, uh, and how did he objectify her? He posted a picture of her, didn't he? Right. He posted a picture of her saying you know, uh, supposedly saying what I said, and that's not what I said. And it was a full-body photo. It was already sort of a suspicious thing. Like, why would you, if, if, you, if someone was really attacking your wife, why would you, like, amplify that attack and say, and even, and make it far worse than what the person actually said? You ever think it, and then show a full-body photo of your wife. You, you, so uh, do you, do you consider the fact that it could be because somebody just said his wife's not skinny and he's just trying to show how wrong that person was? Like trying to expose as opposed to play into? She's not skinny. Uh, okay, so... You, so you don't, just so we're clear, you don't regret saying any of the, these things on Twitter to those guys or about their wives? Yeah, I wouldn't do. I, I'll just put it to you this way. I mean, it wasn't the best moment, but at the same time, it was a progression of months and months yeah. and months. Okay, so real quick, of gaslighting, of two-facedness. I had always turned the other cheek. 
And the context of it was I was defending someone else, and that's all I'm going to say about it, because unlike them, I actually protect the people I care about. So you so attack their wives, though? Don't you find that inappropriate? I didn't, I didn't attack anybody's yeah, wife. That's what, said, that's what, yeah. I mean, if your wife came into the room wearing a dress, and she said, honey, does this dress make me look fat? And you said, well, no, honey, it just makes you look not skinny. How would how do you think she would well, how do you think she'd get in trouble for that? I mean, come on, that's saying fat. That we're playing semantics at this at this point. Uh, I know, but at the same time, I mean, it wasn't exactly what I said. It, and you know, and, and let's face it, we we all know why he did what he did. Yeah, and, I, I would uh, say the, I would say probably to expose you there, man. I'm just being honest. Like if you uh, came after my wife, no. it would be a, I'd probably be taking a trip down to Tampa Bay and we'd be having words. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I, I think maybe you could take this opportunity to, to maybe clear the air a little bit and maybe admit that that was a yeah, little bit I mean, too far. I mean, it wasn't my best moment. Let me put it this way. It was something It was a progression of a lot of time. I was defending. It was in the context. I was defending someone else and they decided to take a pot shot at me. And I called out the hypocrisy of them taking pot shots at my weight because, again, I'm not going to again. You know, when you're, you know, uh, I'll put it to you this way. I was working at a call center a number of years ago. putting in a lot of ways. And there's this big gal who gets up and she's always walking around. And I didn't say anything ugly. But, I mean, you know, she she was always wearing these, like, leggings. And she was a big broad. I mean, when she walked, I mean, her rear end and her legs were just blue, 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 blue. You know, that kind of deal, right? And I just said to the guy next to me, who was my friend, I said, Man, I wish she would just stay down to, to work. And then some lady turns around and goes, people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. And I said, my glass house is covered with a tarp. Well, so, so the thing is with that, though, is the can you see the irony, though, of like calling somebody out? And then you basically insinuate that they're not real Christians. Uh, and like you're going after someone's wife, though. Like this isn't what, like Luke. I know it was something like Luke looks like Forrest Gump, blah, 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 blah. Um, but oh, OK. If I said that their if I said that their wives looked like Mimi from Drew Carey, there that that's not an innocent insinuation. When you say one person looks like some other person, nobody's stupid enough not to think there's an insinuation there. You know, so we can cut the crap out right no, now. No, okay? I'm just saying like if you're saying you look like somebody, uh, that's different than saying you are fat, right? Like or you are no. not skinny. He said that about his own wife, and he showed a full body image to prove it. Now, no, he yeah, didn't say that about was, his own wife. He didn't say she was not skinny. He said she was not fat, if I was and to she say had six someone kids. looks like somebody else, there's an insinuation there, okay? If I was to say one of their wives looked like, looked like Mimi from Drew Carey, there's an insinuation there. If, there. if I was to say one of their wives looked like Rosie O'Donnell, there's an insinuation there. No, there's not an when insinuation when you, you just have, you like bring up something like a like and done to. Nobody's stupid enough not to see it unless they are that willingly evil. No, unless. Okay. But don't you see this was this was just an escalation? Like, even if you think this was insinuation with Luke, okay, fair. We can maybe say that it was, but but saying that they're not skinny isn't an insinuation. You're you're now attacking someone who's not even connected. Like they aren't even okay, on an episode. Months and months and months of attacks on me. But that, that does. But I again, mean, but again, we're bringing women into it that aren't involved. I mean, that's they, a matter called to be. I was defending someone else against these reprobates. Yeah, okay. No, it's, that, let's not even talk now, about this. Crap now we're throwing anymore. at hominem. We got some better. Well, I think if we're all we're we're really focusing on the Bible being our source of truth, then we're not going to throw ad hominem out. We're not going to call people reprobates just because we don't agree with them. Don't you think?
Yeah, and again, the Bible says they were out from us, but they were not of us. If they were with, if they were of us, they would have. Yeah, but that's out of us. context, though. That's not talking about somebody who said somebody had looked like somebody, and then you attacking someone's wife. And we are called to protect women as men. We're not called to attack women. We're called to protect them. Again, I didn't attack women. I was just pointing out hypocrisy. But anyway, uh, the, the hypocrisy is the fact that you too. That's why I, I mean, my my. Okay, let's do this. You said, first off, I've seen your wives in skinny jeans. They're not skinny. So stop talking about people's bodies and tell your women to dress like Christian ladies. Also, I'm seeing you in, they're not dressing like Christians. And y'all know what, I think we can get into that too here in a minute. And y'all know what you said about the young man in our church, so quit gaslighting. So the, the thing is, is that you don't fight fire with fire. So even if you think they're wrong, attacking into them further is, and you're just showing hypocrisy yourself. Like you're exposing hypo hypocrisy by being hypocritical. And that's, you know, and then that's why I simply responded with such a high testimony of Christ Rager, attacking women's weight you've never met when you're one cheeseburger away from a heart attack seems awfully hypocritical. And that was my point. Hey, actually, I'm gonna tell you something else about that stupid. Hey, look up in here. Uh, my, when I go to doctors, they marvel. They've never seen anybody my size who has such terrific vital signs, okay? You know, so, uh, you know, so don't speak out of place, boy. Uh, oh, we're not, we're not trying to, we're, we, he was pointing out the ad hominem because it was an ad hominem attack. And if you look at some of the other stuff we do on social media, we hate ad hominem attacks. And I even gave Will some crap about it because like, hey, we really want to do that. But the point was, it was kind of trying to defend what seemed like a very out of scope attack. And I don't think we want to make the whole podcast about this, but it was just, it was something we wanted to address because we really wanted to give you the chance to clear the air because... I think based on some of the messages we were having, it sounded like there was maybe a little bit of regret on how, how kind of in the weeds that got and how mean it got. So maybe this is a, this is a chance to clear right, that, I didn't want it. To, I didn't want to go there. But the fact is that what you're dealing with with these RFP guys is, I mean, let me just give you some background here with these guys, okay? Uh, they, they make a podcast. They're calling me, JC and Brian in particular, calling me to thank me that I got them their biggest ratings ever, that they were just amazed and their, their followers were attacking me, and they wanted to make sure I was okay. But then they go on immediately after that, and they do a podcast, a follow-up podcast, attacking me. I actually listened that, to that whole thing today. How did they attack you? I mean, you know, it was, I mean, Brian even told me that he thought that, uh, you know, that I was smarter than any of the IFB bigwigs that he ever met, that he tried to get them to, and none of them could ever answer the question. Yeah, but that, that's, that, I that was wasn't like, my question, though. How did they attack you in that follow-up episode? Then they go on their podcast. And they try to act like that I'm some idiot who didn't have the answers to anything. But they knew that I walked into this situation. They didn't know what they were getting with me. And, uh, and, and I was able to answer the questions biblically and dispel what they had to say. So um, they anyway, kind of dispelled you um, afterwards, but well, okay. It, but if they're, if they're, they're uh, just responding in the thing on some of the different biblical points, I don't think that's them calling you stupid and I don't think that's attacking you. I mean, isn't, your, isn't most of your podcasts talking about specific biblical points that other people have wrong? Do Does that mean you're attacking them? Uh, well, yes, but at the same time, they were doing, I mean, again, they were attacking my weight on that podcast, and I addressed that issue very honestly. I mean, look, I'm, I'm not one to try to hide it. I've already addressed that. It's not a secret, you know, but at the same time, they went there. Uh, I mean, and they're... Uh, they, they were attacking other things about me in that podcast. I didn't, I didn't can go can back you be specific, though? Like, again, I listened to it today. I didn't uh, hear an attack. You know, they, they were trying to, they were trying to uh, say that my King James only was based off conspiracy theories. I mean, it kind of is. When, for my account, I go to the original sources. 
I mean, look, Tiskendorf himself says that he got the, the, the Codex Sinaiaticus out of a garbage can at a Catholic monastery. That is, that is, that's historically <laughs> very, yeah, that is not actually how that went. Um, that is exactly according to his story how it went. No, okay, yeah, <laughs> we could get into that whole historical thing, but that's been thoroughly looked at historically. I think I'm talking about King James onlyism is, is not still attacking you. Yeah, that's not attacking you still. And I think the point that they were making but was there a... were other things, you know, where they, you know, saying like, oh, the best thing we could do to debunk him is let him talk. It's like, well, no, they were asking me questions. They were trying to corner me and they didn't expect me to have the answers. So that's what the, that's the story. I find, that, I find that debatable, but we can move on. Um, I just want to bring up, okay. I, you know, you, we had, when we'd messaged before, you talked about them attacking you. And I, I was like, oh, it must be the response video. And I... That's why I reached out to you again because I was like, is there another video? Because to me, it just didn't seem that attacking. Um, now, I know we all... There, there's a, and then here's the thing, and this is something that, you know, you, you know these liberal watered-down evangelicals, you know, seem to never understand. There is a different, you know, there's, there's passive-aggressive and there's aggressive. You see, I mean, they can be snarky, passive-aggressive, you know, but because they act like a bunch of fat, fairy you know, uh, eh, well, didn't you do that? Or, well, what about that? Huh? You know, but they can do that stuff, you know, but, oh, well, that, but that's graceful because they're not acting like men. But then when you act like men and you dig in and you take a stand for your ground and you fight for something you believe in and you don't take, and you don't take a bunch, you know, and you stand up for what you believe, you don't take a bunch of scuff, you know, then all of a sudden you're being aggressive. You see, they, they, they poke at the bear being passive aggressive, but then when the bear responds, all of a sudden the bear is being hostile and aggressive. You know, being a very little f doesn't give you a pass, you know, for being a for being a little or, punk. Or okay? perhaps that or perhaps the bear is just roaring and it's all empty roars because all you have is that hominid attacks and insults and no nothing of substance. Well you know what? <laughs> why don't we go ahead and why don't we go ahead into the subject of the matter? Because uh you know, you brought me on here to discuss the Bible right now. If you don't want to discuss the Bible right now, you know, uh, we don't need to continue this conversation. Well, we do want to discuss the I Bible. Came That's here why we keep bringing it back up. Brian, talk to me about talking about the Bible, okay? You know, and stop being passive-aggressive. I get genuinely get the sense Brian actually wants to talk about important stuff. Looks like you just want to defend your skinny jeans some more. Uh, no, that's not it. See, now you're implying motive. See, we just want to have a discussion. All right, and I, I don't know Nathan, though, Nathan, I think, Nathan I think you're just a little upset, and we didn't mean to make you upset talking about the RFP thing, because, again, we thought we, we could actually have some clean the air. But it sounds like there's still some animosity there, and we're not trying to inflame it, but we are just trying to bring it back to truth. And that's why I was saying when you keep the name-calling thing isn't a biblical thing. That's why I was saying. Okay, well, let's go ahead and discuss doctrine. Then. Okay. They want to go ahead and they want to claim that they are uh, sticking to the fundamentals. You know what? They bring on, compare the way they gave me hardball questions to what they did with Ed Young, who is T.D. Jakes and Stephen Furtick's fishing buddy. You know, Stephen Furtick, who is the king of what they call narcissists. You know, or, or uh, what's his name, old uh, T.D. Jakes, the anti-Trinitarian, okay? You know, they give him softball questions. They don't question him on anything. They promote J.D. Greer, who says that the biblical account of creation is a tertiary issue, who has said he has abortion workers in his church, who said that Christians must be the greatest, the most fierce advocates of LGBT rights. They promote that. Uh, I mean, uh, they... Uh, Ed Young, he brought in The Undertaker to preach at a, uh, and Ric Flair, 
and moral problems abound with Ric Flair. Are, are we going to get to the substance of this, or are we going to keep talking about other people? This, this, yeah, this does seem like we're just kind of making some relational insinuations. I mean, this is the same thing that people... No, no, but this is the same, but Nathan, 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 Nathan said that hold on, hold on. No, we're, hold on, we're putting the brakes on this. Hold on. Nathan, Nathan, hold on. Nathan, Nathan, hold on. They Nathan, hold on. Fundamentals. They or, you know, we can just mute Nathan. Nathan, talk. Nathan you are on. Nathan, 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 no one's going to hear because we're going to edit this part out because you're not letting us speak. You're on the church split. This is our show. We're asking you questions. We're not talking about you going on rants about other people. We're talking about what we're discussing here. Please just be decent about that. I just wanted to bring up, because you're a Trump guy and you're very public about that, but people go after Trump all the time for the same thing you just did, where they, where they say, well, you, you know, uh, David Duke said he supports you, so therefore you're a white supremacist, or this person did this bad thing and they retweeted you, so you're a bad person. I think, don't, I, and I think you would be offended by those attacks against Donald Trump. I think we can try not to do those same attacks on other people, don't you think? At least let's look at the Bible part of it and not character attack based on associations or softball questions. I have not seen the interview okay, well, mentioned, so I, I really can't speak to it either way. Okay, well, Donald Trump is an unsafe politician, and I have been critical of his associations with Paula White and uh, the like. So, I mean, let's uh, be honest about that. But, you know, but to be fair, you know, if you, and, and I think this bears saying, if you compare uh, the way the RFP grilled me but the softballs they gave to Ed Young, who is T.D. Jakes and uh, Stephen Furtick's fishing buddy, who preached for Joel Osteen. Okay, okay. Who, oh, dude, uh, I, I thought they were super nice to you, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I thought that was really nice. I didn't think they grilled you that hard. I was like, you could be way harder than that. No, but, you know, I, I think there's just some animosity there, and I think we're probably beneficial just to move past this topic. Yep, all right, so we're going to move on past RFP. We want to get to the topics that we talked about. Yeah. Let's, let's get to the meat of it, and I think we'll That's have a lot, lot more beneficial time. Okay, I mean, there's there's definitely substantive discussions to be had on the Bible. So, and I think definitely. that's where we should have started off first, because I mean, the first thing. Is well, to I like to give context. Uh, we we like to give context to the things that we're doing here. So, uh, anyway, so first top, first biblical topic to talk about. I think we had mentioned before was, uh, and I think that's something that you wanted to talk about was alcohol. So we can go ahead and jump into that for a moment. So biblically, the Bible says that we are t uh, we are able to indulge but not to be drunk. That is what the biblical position is. So can I get a uh, verse on that? Uh, yeah, uh, John two. <laughs> the Wayne of Canaanite, the Wayne of Canaan, uh, Ecclesiastes 9, uh, plenty of other places. So the oh, Bible speaks very plainly about, uh, speaks very plainly about drunkenness, but does not say anything about imbibing, unless you're talking about like a uh, Nazarite vow or uh, specifically uh, going into the tent of meeting to the priests. So uh, you mentioned uh, the, the book of John chapter 2. Let me show you something. In the book of John chapter 2, okay? So, John chapter 2 and uh, verse uh, verses 9 and 10. John 2, 9 and 10. You gotta love the sound of a Bible flipping its pages. That's good right there. Alright, so, when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine. Now, wine uh, could be, it could be new wine and old wine. It could be leavened wine and unleavened wine. All we know is it was made from grapes at this point. Uh, and when men have well drunk, uh, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. 
that's verse 10, okay? So uh, verse 9 said, When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants knew which uh, drew uh, the water knew, the governor of the feast uh, called the bridegroom, okay? So long story short, when you actually look at that text, if they were already well drunk, it would have been a sin for Jesus to give them more wine. And also, anybody who's drank alcohol knows that when you, you can only taste about the first drinks. That's why people order the higher quality stuff first. And when they keep drinking, they drink the cheap stuff to keep their, their buzz going. Now, but, you, but if you eat something, if you drink something that's not alcohol, uh, you can taste it at that point. So it would have been a sin for Jesus to give them alcohol and because they were already well drunk. He would have been getting them drunker. He didn't do that, and they wouldn't have tasted it once they were well drunk. Okay? That's not what the text says, and, though. Uh, so the text says, uh, so what it says here is when the water, so the Greek word for wine is oinos, which means to be fermented. You can't be fermented without alcoholic content. But on top of that, when it says when they had well drunk, that is the Greek word methuo. Methuo is exclusively, and I can't emphasize exclusively enough, uh, it's used exclusively for when people are drinking alcoholic. Uh, now, it can be used for to refer to drunkenness. It could be referring to the party had carried on. But you have to remember, the Jews were actually known to be drinking. It was actually a very common thing, historically speaking. Uh, the only time they would water it down, really, the Greeks started watering down some of that, some of the alcoholic wine, and that oftentimes was given to women and children. So when it, so uh, according to Chriswell, the most respected theologian in the Southern Baptist Convention, he commented that they turned that they would make wine into concentrate so that they could put a little bit of that concentrate into water to kill germs. It's not like people were drinking 13 proof alcohol. No, okay? that's, that's and not, so again, that. uh, historically speaking, that is that, that is a point that only certain places did, but that's not the broad brush uh, here. Plus, again, it's methuo, which would mean that it was alcoholic in content, meaning high enough to get drunk off of. Okay, you don't know Greek, and neither do I. Let's stick to the Bible. Let's this is the Bible. The Greek is the Bible. Uh, you don't know Greek, so let's go to the Bible. Uh, that seems kind says. of presumptuous. All right, so, uh, okay, uh, t tell me, uh, can you can you walk into a Greek restaurant and order a meal? Uh, Koine Greek is different than common Greek, like it's from today? Uh, actually, I talked talk to, <laughs> look, look, I, I'm very close to the largest Greek community outside the Mediterranean, you know, so I see through your scam, no, okay? I, and look, I don't it's not a scam. It's it. not a Come scam. On, listen, I'm just can pointing we get that this without more character attacks. Yeah, you can you actually move five uh, seconds in an actual discussion without making a character attack or a presumption? I'm just pointing out that you're being presumptuous, and I'm just telling you what okay, I'm just telling so, you what the interlinear what expressly states and what multiple scholars have all said and historians as well. Okay, so first off. Uh, you know, no field of scholarship would let someone be a language scholar in a language they don't speak. Second off, I talked to a native Greek pastor and asked him if the King James Bible was uh, actually was actually was kind of related to modern English in the same way that Koine Greek is related to modern Greek. And he oh, Koine Greek is a lot closer to the Greek, the modern Greek that's spoken that the King James Bible is to the language, the, the English language people speak today. Uh, in fact, there's a pastor out in Arizona, Stephen Anderson, and another one, Dane <laughs> Johansson, over to Cyprus, and they took a Greek textus receptus. They I've seen the video. Yeah, we've seen it. <laughs> they gave it to foreign exchange students and asked them to read the Koine Greek 
and they could understand it just fine. Yeah, okay? again, yeah, again, dialect is dialect. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying it's funny when we're sitting there pretending and we're saying the stuff what you're saying that somehow the language isn't relevant. Let's stick with the Bible when the language that is written from and translated from is the Bible. I, that's okay, the point. Know, none of us speak Greek, so let's go ahead and compare Scripture with so, Scripture. So, okay, well then we can just stick with wine then, so because oh, the, the King James translators know what wine meant. With scripture and find where else wine is discussed so we can look at the Bible in its context. Yeah, which are in both positive and negative areas, such as Ecclesiastes 9 7, and drink thy wine with a merry heart, for God knoweth and accepteth thy works. Okay, but again, that doesn't establish it. It's alcohol. You know, uh, the look, the I Hebrew can word is yayin, which is, and I have okay, spoken to multiple me, boy, Jews hey. and multiple rabbis about this very topic, and they say, yeah, absolutely. Jews have always drank in real wine. That's, that's okay, historically you know what, verifiable. View the Bible with blinders on because they're not saints. You know, uh, oh, wait, so whoa, whoa, hold up, hold up, hold up. So now someone can't understand the language at all? We're talking about the people who are historically understand the scriptures. Okay, listen, you're obviously not interested in having a discussion here because I am, I am asking you questions. I think you're just getting frustrated with the fact that I'm going to the original language. I'm trying to go to the Bible, boy. I am. I'm literally quoting you Ecclesiastes 9 7 in your preferred translation. Ecclesiastes 9-7, and then we're going to go back to Proverbs, okay? Yeah, so, uh, I'm more than—actually, I love Proverbs for this reason. <laughs> this this is where it kind of hangs itself. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you love—I'm sure you love Proverbs because you don't, you don't understand what it says. So Proverbs—so uh, Ecclesiastes 9-7. More character seven. attacks? Uh, go thy way. Really? Thy you know, Nathan, Nathan, real quick, Nathan, 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 hold on. Nathan, hold on. Hold on. Can we just stop with the name calling? If you really want to—hello? Uh, uh, Hold on. I think we're having internet problems. You're just, you were just getting into Proverbs. Is that what? Well, we right, had, right. I, so, are we recording? Yeah. I so I, I really want, I quickly wanted to point this out real quick, though. So since I mentioned I've talked to Messianic Jews and Jews, and you said they look at it with blinders on, therefore they can't even understand Hebrew. But you just did, you just appealed to a Koine Greek, uh, a, a Greek pastor, and he suddenly can have authority over here. But now you're being dismissive toward uh, those who actually read and write Hebrew and Aramaic. Uh, can you explain why you'd be dismissive toward one and not the other? Because it seems like to me language is language. Okay, so first off, uh, they would even admit that the Hebrew language was dead, you know, for a long time until they reestablished the state of Israel. But now, and I want to get this out of the way on that note. Now, again, we're talking about, we're asking the Jews to uh, interpret the scriptures. You know, it's not just talking about language. It's talking about ancient history and theology. Their point of reference is the Talmud that blasphemes Christ says he's in hell burning in hot semen, uh, who, uh, who says that Mary was uh, fornicating with a Roman soldier. I'm not going to go to these people to interpret the scriptures. That's not they all the Jews, Old though. Testament allegory, hey. and they view, you know, they, their authority is Talmud, and in the case of the Kabbalah, it's the Kabbalah. Their authority is not the Old not even the Old Testament. And then uh, the Bible also says, if you have not the Son, you have not the Father. We're not going to go to those people as the authority, you know, for translating the Bible here, okay? Without get, well, without getting into all the little nitty-gritty of the fact that there's different views on Talmudic things and Judaism and all that, but also I'm talking about Messianic Jews who also hold to, that Jesus is Messiah and put their faith and trust in him. But I'm saying that they can't understand language or understand what, what it means. Also, if that's the case, then how do you even understand or even trust the translation of the Old Testament even within the King James? Because that was translated from Hebrew. 
Well, they were able to at least scrap together enough scholarship to do it. You know, the Bible says the words of the Lord are pure words, and he'd preserve them forever. So praise God he did. But here, let's go ahead to Proverbs, because we really have to compare Scripture with Scripture to see the definition of wine. So uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. We don't want to be deceived. If you like alcohol, which obviously y'all do because you were drinking beer in your critique video of me, you know, and that's not an insult. That's not a pot shot. That's just truth right no, there. No, that's okay? true. We completely agree. Right. Okay. I love beer. So Beer's great. Beer. We live in Michigan. I think, I think if we're to be honest, both of our positions have a lot of bias to them, okay? You know, so now we have to compare Scripture with Scripture to, ch to check our own biases and see what God is saying. So real uh, quick, can, if I could speak to Proverbs 20, verse 1. Uh, when it says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Uh, that's why other translations have corrected this a little bit. Uh, deceived is shaga, which means to sin ignorantly or to be led away through intoxication. So I'm just making sure we, so when it, so he who is led away into intoxication is not wise. I am actually not biased on this. Uh, it's not this huge bias for me anymore. Uh, I used to hold your position until I kept studying it and studying it and studying it and found myself quite stumped and realized that I was wrong. So just so you know, I used to hold your position actually quite strong. And then over time, I realized that I was actually being, uh, I was actually in error. So yeah, and we do hold the distinction between being drunk and drinking, and there's and mm. depends on what you're drinking. The drunk, the drunkenness comes sooner rather than later, depending on, um, and also your body weight and how much you've eaten and how much water. It's you subjective have. to each person what that is. And th we also admit that there's there's different alcohol content over the history of time and. Some of the wine that was talked about in the Bible might be even lower alcohol content. Some of it could have been but, stronger. But, and it could have been stronger, but it's all going to still depend on how much you drink. Even if you have 2% alcohol, you drink enough of it. You, if you have enough Robitussin, you are going to get drunk. And to, be, and to that point, for example, you want to say it's a sin to take cough syrup, right? Uh, what is the alcohol content of cough syrup? I mean, but you would agree. Actually, this is actually a really – I'm glad you bring this up because – there is one argument for using alcohol uh, that is actually no longer valid. Let me go over to Proverbs 31, verse 4. I'll start. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, uh, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. So first off, you know, uh, the, the Bible does not just say don't be drunk. It says the Bible says to be sober. And also the Bible says that wine, you know, meaning alcohol in this case, is a deceiver. You know how you can avoid being deceived by it? Don't drink alcohol at all. Uh, Proverbs 31, 6. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. So uh, let him drink and forget his poverty and remember this, remember his misery no more. So like if you're a loser in a ditch, it's not saying that if you're a loser in a ditch that you should keep drinking, you know, because Jesus died for you. You know, God wants more for you than that. But if you just want to be a loser, go ahead and be a loser and drink alcohol. Alcohol is for losers. But in the case of giving strong drink unto them that is ready to perish, you know, that would be thinking of it this way. Think of it like during the Civil War, they had to give people alcohol as anesthetic so they wouldn't feel anybody cutting off their leg, okay? Uh, they, they would give alcohol to someone who was dying because what difference does it make? Keep, keep them comfortable until they die. Well, what difference does now, it make? Go ahead and say What's that? <laughs> do, you, do you think those actions were sinful? 
in the I mean, I think it's a well, I'll put it to you this way. That was some it was bad medicine to cut off people's legs in the Civil War. <laughs> I don't know if they lived. I don't know if that's well. Maybe that's... maybe modern time reference. If you have if you have okay. a cough, is it okay to have this. Robitussin? Okay to have Robitussin. I mean, there's there's better alternatives. But is but, it sinful? Uh, I'm not necessarily. Uh, I'm not going to weigh in on that. I mean, if you take the recommended dose, I think you're going to be okay. But then again, that's medicinal, as which is discussed, you know, in the context of people taking medicine. It's not like it's not like, you know, uh, it's not endorsing recreational drinking. In fact, uh, let me dive through the Proverbs a little more. But Proverbs didn't Jesus th- make recreational wine <laughs> at no, a wedding? No, we've already established that. No, we did not. Because, okay, well, let's Methuo. go back to it. Back to Methuo. All right, so it said that Jesus gave it to them because uh, after they were well drunk. That would mean Jesus was giving people more alcohol after they were drunk, getting them drunker. Jesus was not a, sin- a sinner. Jesus did not provoke other people to sin. We agree. Okay. And now that being said, to go further with it, they tasted it and it was the best wine, you know, saving it for last. The reason people drink the good alcohol, quote unquote, first is because they can taste it. After like two of them, you can't taste anything. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what they drink like. And yeah, it's it, amazing it that the life. best stuff came last. Yeah, you're but, saying right. the best is good is alcohol. Yeah, know, the best is alcohol toward the end. No, you wouldn't know that you were drinking. You wouldn't know that it was the best tasting stuff if it was alcohol, but because you after said, you went, no. But you just it, said the whereas, best was alcoholic. No, the they best, bring their no, best no, alcohol so, at first. Oh, okay, so if they were drinking alcohol, if when people drink alcohol, they drink the quote unquote best stuff first because mm-hmm. they can taste. After that, they keep drinking the cheap stuff. To keep their quote unquote buzz going or whatever it is with like natural which light is, or whatever's cheap. Okay. What's that? Which is why the servants were so shocked because the good alcohol, the good wine came last. It was a reverse. But, but they would not have tasted it because you can't taste it. No, anything. no, you can taste alcohol even when you're tanked. No, no, but you can't really taste anything else. Yeah, yeah, now, you can. When you well, would can you taste alcohol, grape juice? Okay, so if you were drink if you were drunk and you just kept drinking alcohol, you get to a point where you don't really taste much of anything. Yeah, yeah exactly. But so if I'm you saying, so grapes, can you take the grape Yeah, juice? so how would they have been able to tell that it was fresh it, grape it juice? It taste non-alcoholic grape juice. It would taste good to you because God put this thing in your body to naturally want to detox. Like if you eat food or you drink non-alcoholic drink, you'll taste That's it. That's not what the text is saying. And, and, and I have to admit my own sin here, but look, I've been there. I've done that. I get it, Okay. I mean, maybe y'all are better people. Maybe y'all have lived a better life than me and didn't have to learn this the hard way. I did, okay? No, I don't think I either, we're not saying who's better than who. I think you I think you already I made the point. <laughs> but I think you already made the point, Nathan, where you said that um, Jesus wasn't causing anyone to sin. So right. I so think there's two ways to look at this, right? There's two ways to look at this. One is is God Jesus made grape juice that wasn't alcoholic, or two, he made alcoholic wine. Put on camera too. He made alcoholic wine that was good, and he wasn't causing the sin because therefore, alcohol is not a sin. He made non-alcoholic wine. It was pure wine, unleavened wine, new wine. That's, now, but aren't you adding that the, to the text because it doesn't say that? No, it's because there's there's two different kinds of wine: new wine and old wine. In fact, does it say new uh, wine or old wine in the text though? Okay, well, then we have to search the scriptures and look at the context of what's being discussed to see what is being discussed. Which is a wedding. Now, 
a wedding, okay. like a, a, a first century Jewish wedding was known to have a lot of wine. Weren't they like four days long? Or five yeah, days? four days long of a party, okay. baby. That's all the more reason that Jesus would give them non-alcoholic wine if they were well drunk to sober them up. Well, well drunk, like I said, well drunk is the word methuah, which can mean that it, of any form of alcoholic drinking. So exactly, it, it says the word wine can mean can mean alcohol and non-alcohol. Yeah, so but like, using the word methuo means that it is alcohol. So therefore, when it says well drunk, it means that it was alcoholic. Just the fact that they weren't like completely intoxicated. But they probably were well drunk. I would tend to agree with that. And then Jesus gave them new wine, pure wine, unleavened wine, non-alcoholic, purple wine. But that's not what it says. So Again, he but uses the word Methua. When they had well drunk, so when they got a drink, then they made this wine. It was good wine. And it was oinos, but it was the better quality wine. And that's what made them surprised because it was a if higher quality drunk. wine than what they had been drinking up to this point. Also, then they we have to ask the question. This is a legitimate question. Uh, why would Jesus be at a place where everyone was getting trashed and hammered if, you know, it was sinful. Why would the Jews be doing that? Why would he? Why would that even be encouraged in the Jewish culture? Why were none of the rabbis or the Pharisees or the Sadducees saying anything? Because that was actually that's heavily condemned in the Torah. Yeah, you know the. Well, the, remember though, with the uh, with the Pharisees, I mean, they were liars. Not they all were of them. The father of the... Jesus was likely now, of no, the ranks. Well, let's go ahead and compare scripture with scripture here. So, uh, Proverbs twenty three, verse twenty nine. Who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babbling, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes? So, I mean, you know, you're going to be, in it, you're going to talk like a fool if you, if you drink alcohol. You're going to get in fights if you drink alcohol. You're if you're drunk. Red eyes if you Are you going to finish that passage? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to keep going, yes. Okay. They that carry long with, at the wine, uh, they that go to seek mixed wine, look not thou upon the wine when it is red. So now new wine, pure wine, unfermented wine is purple. Purple wine is non-alcoholic. Okay, red is when it goes through the fermentation process and it goes from purple to red. When it giveth Depends itself his color in the cup, proving my point, when it moveth itself aright. It moves itself around, it bubbles around, it swishes around by all by itself in the fermentation process. At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. You see, the fact that you're defending alcohol means you're deceived by it. No, no, that's not what that means at all. Could um, you say the same thing like, oh, you're, de you're defending the miracle of Jesus. That must mean you're deceived by it. <laughs> you know, okay, isn't that just a brush off response, though? Well, hold, I do. I want we to. Go ahead. Uh, so uh, Proverbs 23, 29, it clarifies itself. Uh, who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babbling, who hath wounds without a cause, who hath redness of eyes? And it answers his own question. They that tarry along at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. These are clearly, it's a picture of alcoholism, not someone who just is imbibing casually. They that tarry along at the wine, they look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. Um, so here's the thing, uh, wine doesn't just, if you put it in the glass and you watch it, it doesn't move by itself. This is a picturesque of what wine is. So when and during, the fermentation pro during the fermentation process, it does move itself about. We're not even supposed to look at alcohol. And Do you go to we're Walmart? Not even Wait, are you saying looking at looking at alcohol is a sin? Well, let me put it to you this way. I mean, if a woman's dressed like a hussy, you know, uh, it's not necessarily a sin to look at her. But I mean, if you look at her lustfully, it's a sin. You shouldn't look at her at all. You know, you're kind of like, oh, what do I look at? You know, well, I'm just... yeah, it's the same 
back to it's like what you just said we're Jesus not when he was at the the wedding he was looking at alcohol so is he was he sinning no okay. he wasn't sinning because hmm. he gave them non-alcoholic but he could see it there before but he could see drinking it. They, he saw that they ran out you right? just said we're not even the bible tells us we're not even supposed to look at it because we're we're taking this particular thing to the absolute nth degree so jesus was looking at alcoholic wine so was jesus sinning to, by your standard Notice earlier in John 2, when Mary asks Jesus to do it, Jesus kind of rebukes her. Uh, I mean, it, it says here, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. So obviously there was a reason that Jesus had to rebuke Mary for asking him to give them more wine. That's, so that would, my hour that would indicate, That's not what that's talking about, though. It doesn't say why he said it, but you have to look at the context. All you can do what is, is my hour to... has not yet come. What is he referring to? Uh, what is he referring to? Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing. You have to search the scriptures. I mean, that's a matter yeah, of interpretation. He, he, no, no. It, he, it makes pretty clear that he's talking about his death, burial, resurrection. When you, because he, he put he dribbles that in there. And the and the wedding night of Canaan actually had his this has a huge scriptural implication because he later on says that he will not even have wine until the the wedding communion after he has already taken his church up or his people up to him during the end times. And that's when he's going to commute again, which is why he was saying, but, my hour has not yet come. But the previous verse, uh, and when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto them, they have no wine. Mary was coming to Jesus asking them, asking him to give them more wine. The, exactly. I mean, and there was, there was a rebuke there. Woman, what have I to do with thee? That's the first portion. Woman, what have I to do with thee? Okay. I mean, there was obviously some hesitation on Jesus' part to do to give them more wine. Right, but foreshadowing. Then, so, but foreshadowing of that. So, when he's talking about, because again, there's a, I don't have the verse in front of me out to find it, um, but it says like he will not take of the fruit of the vine or any wine until he has supped with us at the wedding of the bride of Christ. And so what he's saying there is when she's like, I need more wine, he's like, my hour has not yet come. It's a foreshadowing of after death, burial, resurrection, which he says, he refers to his death, burial, resurrection, yet yeah, a lot as his, his time, who, that which has not come. Oh. And then the end times, which is when he's going to take his church. It is my interpretation also that that's what he's talking about when mine hour has not yet come. But I was referring more to the portion about, like, woman, what have I to do with thee? It's interesting that he gave her a rebuke there to Mary uh, for asking him, you know, to give them more wine. And and I think it's pretty clear that they well, were so well then, drunk. Well, and so Jesus so didn't give them alcohol. But then, they, but then after they were well drunk, and, and I've unfortunately I've had to learn from this from experience, we have a marine drill instructor uh, in our church who has learned this firsthand. Anybody who drinks a lot can tell you this. You don't really taste much after you're well drunk. If you drink more alcohol once, but if, if, when he gave them new wine, pure wine, unfermented wine, unleavened wine, they could, they, it was the best tasting because they could taste it because the, it wasn't alcohol. In fact, what if was you the best quality to, wine, I feel like you were insinuating here. I feel like you're really inserting the text and separating it from its historical context, especially when it says that when they had done this, Jesus did this. And then they said it was good. And it's still the same word. It's still the same word oinos. So are we saying that oinos is alcoholic at the beginning of that verse, but suddenly once be, Jesus did, it's non-alcoholic. Doesn't this seem a little like the like magic, like this seems like textual gymnastics to be like, it means alcoholic here, but non-alcoholic here, even though it's the same exact word. Well, no. I mean, a word can have multiple meanings. 
You know, yeah, but there's wine. an actual word in the Greek used to discuss non-alcoholic wine. Um, Augustine yeah. talked about this as well, and it's not in the text, in any okay, of the New well, Testament text. Uh, okay, well, uh, I'm, I'm not interested in Augustine. I want to compare Scripture with Scripture. I, I, and, I know, but uh, you, no. can't separate histor you can't separate the historical side of this or the linguistic side of this. Just so, just so I can but, understand. But so, well, you're saying, you're saying when, when Mary goes and tells Jesus that— they're out of wine. The word she's using is the exact same word they're talking about. I'm saying that, yeah, the same word oinos is when, oh, we need to make more wine, oinos. And Jesus goes, you know, that's his uh, foreshadowing. And then when it says that, and then at the, the wedding, when they had drank wine, oinos, and they had been well drunk, methuo, that Jesus turned water into good wine, oinos. It's the same oinos, 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 all the way through. Okay, well, what it wouldn't be good biblically if it had alcohol in it because it's uh, yeah, well that's that's presumptuousness unless of oh, course un unless of course we're talking about the fact that it's a, not as a sin to be drunk and not necessarily to imbibe because again it, it, even it, your proverbs 23 here says though the people who are sinning are those who are seeking after the wine they tarry long at it they seek mixed wine they're alcoholics they're they're, they're Completely it, slaves to it. Deceiver. I mean, you see, someone very rarely will drunk admit they're a drunk. Very rarely will an alcoholic admit they're an alcoholic. <laughs> you haven't been to many parties. <laughs> don't drink, I'm don't so drink drunk right now. <laughs> don't drink alcohol and you won't be deceived. Again, I personally, I mean, I personally believe they were well drunk. Jesus rebuked Mary for asking him to give him more booze. And but then Jesus made good wine, new wine, pure wine, alcoholic wine. Uh, to sober them up, and that's why they could taste it, is because it didn't have alcohol in it. And also remember this: leaven is leaven. You know, is a picture of sin. You know, and the blood. You know, the wine is a picture of the blood. Jesus' wine is pure. It's new. It's spotless. There's, you know, uh, it, it's blasphemy to say that Jesus turned water into booze, and it's blasphemy uh, to to attack the blood. It attacks the blood of Jesus Christ itself. You are a damnable heretic. If you disagree with this, because Jesus Christ's I blood disagree. is unleavened, it is pure, it is perfect. We couldn't be washed of our sins by the blood of Christ if his blood had leaven. Well, let's, let's try to land the plane here, because this is an interesting topic, but I think we have other ones we want to talk about too. But can you at least admit, Nathan, that if, if Jesus in that situation made alcoholic wine out of water, then, then Jesus was not sinning? He couldn't have been. Sinning. No, he definitely would have been sinning, because he would have he would have been giving dr people who were drunk more alcohol. He so you would think have it's possible sinning. for Jesus to have sinned. No. Then why okay. is it that 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 the, the New Testament scholarship, the overall historical, the historians, New Testament conservative and liberal, all agree the fact that they definitely had alcoholic wine. And that Jesus had alcoholic wine. Also, when Paul says that, Timothy, have some wine for your stomach's sake. I mean, it's like there's so many times, or or at the Lord's Supper, it was wine, oinos. It's the same no, word. I feel like we're just redefining words when it's inconvenient. No, that's blasphemy, because Jesus Christ uh, would not have been calling his own blood you know, wine, you know, I mean, meaning alcohol. He wouldn't have been calling it, he wouldn't have been using leavened wine uh, to picture his blood. Remember this, water is life. Alcohol kills stuff. Water gives stuff life. You know, but we just pulled from Proverbs 31 where we use it medicinally. What? We just pulled from Proverbs 31 where you use alcohol medicinally. So apparently can give life or at least okay. relief. 
but but again, as, as we already discussed, W.A. Criswell has written about this, that they would make a concentrate out of alcoholic wine, and you could put a little bit of that in water just to kill toxins. It's not like they were drinking Mogan David or any of that stuff straight out of hell. I mean, they would have just been putting like a little bit of detoxifier in water if that's what they were drinking. And yeah. also, again, in First Timothy, when or in Timothy, when uh, when Paul told Timothy that he could have been referring to drinking non-alcoholic wine for your stomach, because we know but he didn't that say it with that. He didn't use that. He used the same word oinos, which is used for alcoholic wine. Again, we've established this. You have to compare scripture with scripture. No, you've established. Yeah, we are comparing, we are comparing scripture with scripture. That's exactly what we're doing. We're saying you're redefining no. wine when it's inconvenient for your position. No, you don't. The thing is, you don't know Greek, so stop. Okay. Uh, no, I, I. No, it, even on, in your King James, it says wine. So you're redefining the word wine when it's inconvenient. <laughs> Do we not think that we can come to conclusion on truth here? Do we not think that we're all three intelligent enough to to find truth? I think we are. Not to be prideful. I just because we're spiritually discerned. If you're not abiding in the spirit, if you're trying to justify your sin of drinking alcohol, you're not going to be able to. But you've yet to really care about drinking alcohol, and neither did Will when he changed his mind on it. It's not trying to justify a sin. We're looking at it, trying to see what the Bible says, and what it sounds like is you're putting into a personal bias about alcohol, either past experience or teaching that you've heard, and saying this can't mean wine here, alcoholic wine, even though the word in the original Greek is saying alcoholic also wine. Also in English, even the King says wine, wine, wine. So we're saying it's not alcoholic wine here when it's inconvenient, but it's got to be alcoholic wine when it affirms my position. So one okay, of us is saying it means the same thing no matter what, and one of us is redefining the word even though the text doesn't no. redefine the word. No, you. Uh, okay, again, you're refusing to look at the context. I, and no, to no, no. I've scripture. given you the historical context. Like historians no, agree that this is alcoholic wine, and that's what oinos means. But the and the, what historian? And even the 1611 translators, which I've been using the King James, by the way. Uh, even agree that it meant wine, which is why they put wine continually throughout the New Testament. And even there, there's okay, the, the, the parable of the wineskins in Luke chapter 5, when it talks about the, but the new wine must be put in new bottles, it's because when wine had sitting there for a while, it had swollen and it burst. And then so when they put, they couldn't use the old sacks because they'd already been swollen. So when they put the new wine in, it's got to take time to, because it's going to expand more and more as it ferments more and more, which is why we put corks in bottles. <laughs> And thank you. Them. Thank you for admitting there is such a thing as new wine. Thank you. No, no, this is but this is new wine. The other one doesn't say that. And also that's not the word what that word would meant either. It's not saying But it doesn't okay. If if new wine is mentioned, it doesn't mean that wine is not it does if wine could get be old wine or new wine. Oh my word. Again. But it just literally says it specifies itself here and it doesn't specify itself there. Don't you see the difference? Well, you have to look at the context to I see am. what the Bible says. I am literally looking at the context. That's... We just we just talked about how when Mary went to Jesus and said, we're out of wine, oinos, okay. there's nothing that changed the context point... when Jesus uses the same word. All right. You know what? We've already both discussed our positions. This is not profitable. Let's move on. Fair enough. We can move on to the next topic. And I think just for everyone watching, I think this is good to see. There's This is a deep subject, and there's a lot to look at. And at least credit to Nathan that we're we're, we're, we're going verse by verse and discussing it. But, now, it but calling people that you disagree with blaspheming and heretical yeah. is ridiculous. Let's not do that. Okay? Uh, it's totally not. You know what? I love the blood of Christ. I'm saved by the so blood do of I. Christ. Absolutely. If someone attacks the blood of Christ, that is blasphemy. That's not what I'm doing. I'm talking about the historical context of wine. I'm not talking about the blood of Christ. 
Okay, well, you're 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 saying that Jesus sinned and you're attacking the blood of Christ. I'm not saying okay. Jesus sinned. You're saying Jesus sinned. Well, that's because you're that's because you're not see you're not seeing what the Bible says. And about you're redefining anyway, words, even though it didn't do that. So we can move on to the next. Uh, one. And you're and you're <laughs> pretending to know a language that you don't speak. So let's move on. Well, I know I, I can even say again. Okay, so in the 1611 King James, when it says wine, does it not mean wine? <sighs> okay, it's like arguing <laughs> with a woman. It doesn't say grape last. juice. It says wine. You have the last. Okay. You, you got the last word. Let's move on. Okay, moving on. Um, do we want to talk about Isaiah 47 next? We talked about that in the rebuttal video. Um, and Nathan, do you want to kind of describe your perspective on Isaiah 47 and, and how you extrapolate that to skinny jeans and form of the thigh and clothing modesty as a description for modern day I culture? I will say this. I think Brian and I probably could have had a good interview from those email discussions we had. <laughs> I'm just I'm Bob's argument of his will, but this the alcohol one is Will's peck topic, <laughs> and he's done a lot of research. And the funny thing is, we actually went through pretty much all the verses in his in his video on it. <laughs> I'll tell you what you, need to, you you know the you know the word repent has a change of mind, but people also say it means to turn away from your sin. I mean, uh, I'll just say this: you know, you need to repent, have a change of mind on that. He Amen. Did. Praise God. I did, which is <laughs> why I believe what I believe because I repented of my stupidity. <laughs> Let's move on. All right, so well, Isaiah 47, Nathan, give us give us your. Uh, your exegesis of that passage and how you apply it to modern-day dress. Exit Jesus? No, I'm a Baptist. I believe in eternal security. I'm confused. Was that a joke? Yeah, he's being funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So Whoosh, uh, That one went over my head, Nathan. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't like – he doesn't like the theological terms. <laughs> well, let me just put it to you this way. Like, look, I mean, I went soul winning before I came and talked to y'all. I mean, we got, we got cussed out and threatened. I mean, you know what? There's nothing y'all can throw at me that I can't handle. But let me just go ahead and say this, though, okay? There's no way that you can go out and talk to the general public and get people saved if you're using terms like hermeneutus or uh, exegesis or uh, uh, hermeneuptos or whatever these things are. You know, I mean, just just keep, you know— right, but uh, it can be part of learning as you mature as a Christian— I, look, I, I knew all those. I know all those terms. I knew all those terms. I don't want to talk in those terms because I want to keep it on the bottom shelf so I can, you know, uh, you know, not rob myself or not rob anybody else of the simplicity that is in Christ, like I, Apostle Paul talks about. I think so we could find why, some common ground there because I, I think we also get kind of. Uh, <laughs> Annoyed with some of the overly technical discussions that are in theological. I mean, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll engage in it. It doesn't bother me much, one way or the other. I have used it when I'm discussing things with somebody, like as I'm discipling someone. It's like, all right, let's, let's learn from this. Now, this is what we call this, and this is why. And they go, oh, okay, and it helps them put it like a framework to it a little bit. But I'll say anyway, it this way. Nathan, give us your biblical understanding of what Isaiah 47 means as it comes to modern day apparel. Was apparel too hard? Uh, come down. It is, okay, so this is a judgment text. This is a judgment text against Babylon. Mm -hmm. uh, come down uh, and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Uh, now, again, this is not like God telling some virgin to sin, okay? So when, you, when Will, you said it was descriptive and not prescriptive. Yep. You were right, but you didn't follow through with that totally, and I'll show you why. All right. O daughter of the Chaldeans, uh, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate, Take the millstones and grind meal. Uncover thy locks. Make bare thy leg. Uncover the thigh. Pass over the rivers. Uh, thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Yea, thy 
shame shall be seen. Uh, I will take vengeance and I will not meet thee as a man. Okay, so first off, the obvious application here is that something about the Chaldeans is going to be exposed going forward. That's the preview of that, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, but there's also something, uh, as far as something being descriptive, it says to have an uncovered thigh, uh, you know, thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Your, your thigh is going to be, un your leg is going to be uncovered. Uncover thy thigh, and thy nakedness shall be uncovered. And, and whenever you say that, it means that, you know, your shame is seen. If you don't understand the fact that your thigh is exposed, thigh is, a, is exposing your nakedness, you, you are literally more shameful than the Chaldeans, because the Chaldeans would have understood this. Uh, the, 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 the pagan, even the pagans would have understood that it is shameful to expose the nakedness of your thigh. And uh, I'm just going to go even further with that to, to show you something else here. So think of it this way. If, whenever you are in skinny jeans, you're exposing not only the form of the thigh, but you're exposing the form of the buttocks. You're exposing the form of... Uh, and other stuff in the front, in the middle, that I'm not going to say, you know, because uh, the Bible says that we're supposed to avoid corrupt conversation. But now, and then, and then are corrupt. Said, I'm not going to say what's, I'm not going to describe what's in the front and the middle. Fair enough. Both. We won't make okay. you be uncomfortable. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Right. you know, I'm going to start turning red anyway. So, yeah, Brian gets very uncomfortable around that topic. Keep going. You're good. All right. So, anyway, long story short, I mean, and, and even this, like the, the you know, uh, Brian Edwards, the recovering fundamentalist guy, he made the comment that, oh, well, uh, there should be a weight limit to skinny jeans, okay? So think of it this way, okay? So if he's admitting that there should be a weight limit to skinny jeans, that would obviously be him conceding, like, okay, these things are, are seductive. These things are uh, sexually appealing to some people and not to others. Now, you have to remember, number one, as far as that goes, you know, the weaker brother arguments. It is a sin to cause a weaker brother to stumble. And I like what Jack Kyle said. You know, I think he was talking about miniskirts, but he may, but he may have been talking about dancing or bikinis. I forget. You know, if you, you know, if a man says he's not aroused by that stuff, you know, there's one of three possibilities. He's either, he's either uh, dead, queer, or lying, okay? And, uh, it, and I'll put it to you this way. Maybe... Maybe some people who claim who who defend women, you know, wearing the attire of a harlot, which is skinny jeans. Maybe they genuinely are not aroused by the sight of it because either they're hardened by a wicked society, or possibly, uh, you know, uh, Rebel Media has discussed this. That the scientific studies have proven this: that the average twenty-year-old man today has the same testosterone levels as an eighty-year-old man. Okay. You know, so I mean, it might just be that you don't have any testosterone that, through the, you know, being a soy boy, you know, with chemicals in the water, uh, soy milk, uh, hops, <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and this is something else. I mean, even if the alcohol issue aside, uh, I mean, you know, preachers should be preaching against craft beer and soy lattes because they're hyper estrogenics. I mean, it's literally uh -oh. a sex change. We uh, love craft beers. <laughs> All right, we already discussed that part. I don't want to go back to it. Well, here, I, pause a second, Nathan. I think we have we have a, maybe a, a place of common ground. When Brian Edwards was talking about uh, 
there should be a weight limit to skinny jeans. I don't think he's saying that because as you get bigger, they get more sexual. I think he's saying as as you get bigger and wear skinny jeans, they come they become very unsexual and very very unfortunate right, to look but at. That, but, then, <laughs> but I don't think it's a sexual it, thing. <laughs> well, the point. But he's admitting, but he's admitting that people look sexual and seductive in them. No, when they're, no, is. no, no. He's what he it looks what he's saying: the bigger you get, the more, less attractive you are in general. That's that's what's well, being said there. Well then, well then, on the flip Typically. side, the Some obvious implication like that it is sexual and seductive if you're wearing skinny jeans, or it could be a turnoff because you're someone wearing that the attire of a harlot who doesn't look good in it. Wrong. It's like that. Okay, real quick, uh, to approach Isaiah 47. Uh, first off, I don't. You said there, I didn't take it properly. Are you? Did you show that to me? Because I'm still not seeing where I went wrong. Oh yeah, because because uh, you said it was descriptive mm -hmm. but not prescriptive. Yep. You're right. It is descriptive and not prescriptive. God's not telling some God's not telling some virgin Babylonian gal to, you know, to go to go uh, do a, a naked booty dance or anything like that. You know, he's 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 you know, uh, describe, you know, he's speaking analytically describing judgment. It's like these people who go to obscure uh, judgment text to try to justify divorce, which just a few verses later, you know, it says that God was still married to Israel. You know what I mean? Uh, but that being said, there is a definition of a word that is defined here, which is, it says, un uh, uncover thy thigh, thy nakedness shall be uncovered. What's uncovered? Thy nakedness. What is thy nakedness? Thy thought, uh, the thigh. The thigh is the nakedness. Is it also the locks? Uh, uncover thy, uncover thy locks. I mean, uh, well, I'll put it to you this way. I mean, you, you could, you could interpret it that way because, Remember, uh, so in, whoa, whoa. In we could interpret it that way, or is it? It, it does mean that thing. So this, my point is, yeah, is that I'll we have to be consistent in our interpretations. I haven't thought about that aspect, but comparing scripture with scripture, there is a sort of parallel text there about modesty, adorn where women are supposed to adorn themselves in modesty. I think it's First Timothy chapter two, where it talks about how women should not have, you know, like wearing gaudy jewelry and braided hair, you know, braided hair. That that was like something that was uh, immodest for a woman to do. So I think because the, it was about I the think, headship you know, arrangement. It was, it was showing that they weren't under the headship of a husband in church. Yeah, culturally speaking, it was referring to that. Uh, real quick, so I wanted to mention also when he said "uncover thy locks." Notice, I think this where sentence structure needs to be addressed as far as our interpretations of things. So, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Verse two: Take the millstones and grind meal, and then semicolon, uncover thy locks, make bare the leg, uncover the thigh, pass on the rivers. Period. End of thought. New thought, thy nakedness shall be uncovered. In other words, he's describing various different aspects of him exposing them, but he's not saying the thigh is somehow equal to nakedness. He's saying, no, I'm just going to expose your nakedness. And he just kind of gives a couple steps of like, we're going to make bare your leg. We're going to uncover the thigh. And notice too, also, I, and again, we apparently don't like the original words, even though we apparently trust the translations of the original words, but the original word is out, is referring to the calf even. And it's not even talking about modesty here. It's describing him just setting her up because again, if we're saying, oh, virgin daughter of Babylon, oh, it's not a vir an actual virgin daughter. We're taking, we're not going to take that hyper literally, but then the next verse, we're going to say that the fact that he's not speaking poetically here and describing it, but rather he is speaking literally that 
thy locks make it bare the leg, uncovering the thigh suddenly equals nakedness. So we're taking one part allegorically at the beginning, then going super literally two verses later when the context is still the same. So again, we're but being inconsistent in our translate in our interpretation. This here is talking about no. exposing the Chaldeans and Babylon for their shameful acts. That he's going to show their sin before everybody. Otherwise, if we're saying that uh, uh, showing your thigh, I mean, can you even what part of the thigh? Are we talking about right above the knee? Are we talking about like men can't wear basketball shorts ever? Are we talking is about talking about men? Yeah, is he, is, he, is he talking about men, or is he just talking about women, or is he only talking about virgin? We, I mean, if we're going to go literal, we could say that this means uh, it's only applicable to virgin daughters. Okay, well, well, first off, there's a general principle being stated here. You know, I mean, it's or it's referring, there's a, there's a poetic parable referring to a literal principle. And, and that li one of those literal principles, among many, as we're discussing here, is that one of the aspects of uh, one of the aspects of nakedness is an exposed thigh? And you pointed out the uh, the, the the uncover thy locks. I mean, I had never really thought about that before, but there is that parallel text that when that women, you know, adoring themselves in modesty would not have like you know a bunch of like crazy braids and stuff. Talk about uncovering that, so. locks. It's talking about like uncovering. Hair, so it's like removing a head covering. So should women wear the head coverings too, or all the time? All the time. Well, is it form of the head that also, is also now bad? Your elbows are exposed also when you're naked. Does I mean so? I, I mean, yes, of course. If you're naked, your thigh is showing because you're naked. <laughs> okay, so I mean, what what level are Everything we talking about here? You're naked. <laughs> is it okay for men to be shirtless, okay, just not for men to show their thigh? But again, it's. But it doesn't say, but it specifically singles out the thigh as your nakedness being exposed. It's not singling out. It's not singling out, though, because we just talked about the lock. Yeah, it's singling out leg, thigh, and the word for leg and thigh in the Hebrew is interesting. One of them's referring to, like, the, the very lower calf, and the other one's referring to, even, like, I think it could mean foot and a number of other things. Like, it was a very, one of those very strange Hebrew words. I don't have it in front of me right now, but. I can um, see Will's foot right now. How dare you? You can see my nakedness. Um, so, uh, but you know, also your hair. It's not just singling that out. It's walking through a poetic description, which is why it says, "Oh, virgin daughter of Babylon, sit on the ground." It's not Babylon and Chaldea. Chaldeans aren't just gonna sit on the ground. There is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Were the Chaldeans really called tender and delicate? No. He's saying, but I'm going to no. show the fact that you will, you know, you will no longer be able to be called that because I'm going to destroy you and expose your sinfulness to the entire world. That's the point here. It's a poetic description of sinfulness being exposed, not saying oh. thigh equals naked. I think, I think that's okay, a bit so, of a stretch. But it's multifaceted, and one of the things that is defined as nakedness there is an exposed thigh. Uh, so No, no, it's uh, not saying, I mean, it's, it doesn't say your nakedness is your exposed thigh. It's saying that these are various steps that can lead to nakedness, just like if I start removing different parts of my sleeve and you start seeing different parts of my arm, you would suddenly, that's closer to being naked. The less clothes I'm wearing is the closer oh. I am to being naked. Okay, now you're now you're actually proving my point about skinny jeans because it exposes the complete form of the buttocks and the thigh and you know what whatever's if, up front. But what if something shows the the form of someone's forehead? Well, your your forehead's not your nakedness. Well, but, according to uh, Isaiah forty-seven, if we're following it in the, in the literal way you are, then it is at least for women. 
Are we going to say that women that pull their hair back are being naked? Well, first of all, we're not wearing a head covering or naked. Also, first off, what level of a form of your buttocks? Let them let them respond. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, we 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 piled okay, on there. Go ahead, Nathan. <laughs> so first off, there's nothing wrong with women wearing head coverings. No, I mean, uh, like in fact, in First Corinthians 11, I think it's pretty clear what's being told there is that the is that the hair is the glory of the woman, you know. And I mean, uh, and as far as that goes, you know, uncover thy locks, make bare thy leg. I mean, that's not a very descriptive section of text on these issues and i'll concede that sure now and and as we and i've discussed this you know uh in a sermon that ironically got me uh, pretty much almost kicked off youtube <laughs> well don't say too much of it here <laughs> uh, because, because the women were told not to not to cut their hair off because it would tempt the angels now an angel could be like an angel angel or a preacher and i mean god's not going to call a man a god who's attracted to bald-headed women amen right there but at the same time uh, he's uh, the the long hair is the glory of the woman. So we seemingly have a nuanced contradiction here, and it's not a contradiction; it's a nuance. But you know, it, it's really hard. Only if you're taking to, that literally. Only if you're taking this hyper literally does it create any sort of tension, unless you just say it's a poetic but description. None, but nonetheless, let me just put it to you this way: Do you like the looks of Do you like the looks of a woman in a bikini? Well, this feels like a trap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this feels like a trap. At, uh, I only hold, my wife, Stacy. Yeah. If you're watching, only you. <laughs> yeah, I love the. I love my wife. I guess it'd be, she doesn't own a bikini. Like, <laughs> come on, man, be cool, bro. <laughs> What's your point? Okay, uh, let, me, let me ask you this: Daisy Daisy Duke wasn't wearing a bikini, but she was wearing, uh, you know, Daisy Dukes. She looked good, didn't she? We're not saying that women or people can't be immodest. I'm saying that saying a thigh equals nakedness is stretching the text. Well, let me put it this way. My wife works but, outside in Michigan in the winter, and she will literally wear four pairs of pants, and I still think she's very attractive when she goes to work. Yeah, a, a man's okay, – so uh, I mean, again – that, that doesn't negate the point. If you're looking at a woman with her thighs exposed, and she's a good-looking woman – Okay, if if I'm any random good-looking woman, she's gonna walk in. You've seen her with her thighs exposed. Can you just admit that she looks good? Oh, I admit. I I would admit that that would is an attractive look, just like someone with pretty hair or somebody with really beefy arms and really fit. Right. Anyone who but is fit or anyone who has attractive. There's plenty of attractive features, but I think if we're just saying that the leg equals nakedness, uh, if you're saying the leg equals nakedness, you better say hair equals nakedness too. If you're using this text that way, also that it's referring to virgin daughters. You have to use some common sense because it says their nakedness is exposed. No, no, no. Again, that's in the next sentence. That's the next thought. That's the next thought. He, he okay. sums up so, and anyway. then nakedness. It's a separate. So anyway, going forward, because I think I think unless 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 any of us are sodomites, I think we can get across here that there that you have you can use some basic logic that's common to natural man. You know, not people with unnatural affections, not perverts, just people, just normal people. Yeah, okay? I would agree that there is a certain line that it's like, obviously, you don't expose your genitalia. Obviously, you don't have your butt cheeks hanging out. But I mean, that's like that right there, though, is not like the Bible doesn't describe modesty. It just simply says, and the things that it brings up for modesty is like braided hair and things along that 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 are more cultural that show like a cultural um that shows subliminal messaging with that, such as, you know, shaved head oftentimes was uh, were prostitutes and things like that, where he's, he's talking about, hey, separate yourself from that and show yourself submissive. And there are, so, there are cultural applications, obviously, like 
like the head coverings would be a culture application to your point. And I put it to you this way. And I mean, even just further with culture applications, we're talking about like broided hair being immodest, you know? So, I mean, I'll put it to you this way. If you were down in Jamaica, you know, uh, and, and, a, and a Jamaican gal had braided hair, you know, in the, whatever they call them, I don't want to, I don't want to say anything to, you know, trigger any snowflakes or anything, but whatever they, they like to call their braids, you know, uh, that would not be anything weird. But, you know, when, uh, but, you know, when Antifa girl, you know, uh, when pasty face blonde hair Antifa girl goes around to dreadlocks, I mean, she looks like a freak. I mean, that's still subjective, see, it, though. Well, let me ask you this, Nathan, because you brought up the bikini there are, thing. There are cultural applications to it where it oh, seems yeah. like it fits with one cultural group, but it doesn't fit with another cultural group. But this is something that's universal. This is an universal principle I'm discussing right now. You know, a woman walking around, uh, a good-looking woman walking around with, uh, you know, in, in, in uh, the spray-on britches that you can see the form of everything that's going to catch it. Also, you keep you saying know, the form, it, but the text doesn't even say the form of. But again, like, so again, okay, you're stretching just, the text. But just to the point there, I mean, you. Well, but why are they wearing that stuff? Huh? They, they they look as way well, in it. God's why making them wear Brian that. <laughs> yeah, God is actually stripping why does them. Brian Edward, why does Brian Edwards say people over a certain size should wear them? Because it doesn't look good. Obviously, the counterpoint is that certain people with certain body shapes look good in yeah. seductive. Well, no, no, no. Some people body. just look more attractive than others. And that's just all there is to it. And I think, I, you know, Brian but, Edwards was being sarcastic and cheeky there. He's not some... saying that, that it's a sin for that. He's just cracking a joke. I think you're, you're taking a joke you know, of his and running with it a little bit. And I know, and, and here's the thing though, he's not saying this is sin, you know, because even if he is saved, he's going to be least in the kingdom of God because he's based in entire career off of uh, teaching others, you know, sinning and teaching others to do likewise. Uh, okay, that's presumptuous as heck. I, I want to ask you a question, Nathan, because you asked about the bikini thing, and this just made me think of it, so indulge me a minute, but um, is your wife more attractive in jeans or a dress? You know, uh, you know, you know, some pervert in a CCM church would probably say she's better looking in a pair of spray on. I'm just asking you. I don't more. care what anyone, uh, anyone well, I would Quite honestly, I'll be okay. So this is where the spirit and the flesh intersect right now. This is Romans seven stuff right here. Okay, uh, so you know uh, there's no good in the flesh. You have to abide in the spirit and not in the flesh. So in the flesh, in the flesh, you would say that you want to see a good-looking woman wear, you know, dress like a dress like a hussy, you know. But in the spirit, you're turned off by it. You know that's why, like, I've gone to the point spiritually where I'm more offended when a good-looking woman dresses like a whore than when I am when a husky bra dresses like a whore because, or or like a bird leg dresses like a whore, you know, because just quite simply, uh, it's like, you know, because you're, you're flaunting something, you're sexually objectifying yourself, and you're causing others to sin. You know, what I would, what do I want my wife to wear? What would I be more attracted in her wearing? I'd be more attracted in her dressing, dressing like a Christian adorning herself in modesty but to my point you're saying that if you're attracted to what someone's wearing therefore it must be sinful but my point is that typically in our culture since we're applying cultural norms here in our culture a, a woman in a, in a nice dress is considered more attractive than a woman in jeans true 
uh, maybe a mini skirt. I mean, no. you know, hormone. <laughs> no, we're talking about beauty here. Like, there's a reason why, like, formals and a lot of other things are considered quite elegant. Yeah, I'm going to get my, uh, my senior prom jeans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, no, it's always a senior prom dress. I'm just, I just wanted to point out that, Nathan, that I think if we just put it on what men find attractive is makes it sinful, I think that puts that puts a lot of uh, a lot of poor judgment on women that I don't think we should be putting on. Yeah, because when you're saying, well, like, no, well, no, if no. you're attractive, suddenly it's sexual. No, some people are just attractive people. Like, there are certain people that are so disgustingly good-looking that you could slap a potato bag on them, and they're still attractive. Unfortunately, I never reached such heights. Thank you, Will. I think he's talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it's just, it's just one of those things where I'm like, we can't. Also, my wife, you know, uh, she looks attractive. Like, literally, my wife is uh, she's Korean, so... They just have a natural elegance about them, which is disgusting. But she's good. There's an there's a extreme femininity to the Asian women, yes. Yeah, and so she is gorgeous, and no matter what she wears. So I'm just saying, like, I think if we're saying that, oh, well, depend if there's a form of, then also we have to start asking, what level of form of? Like, even when you're wearing a dress, there's still the form of the outward thigh. Or if you're saying the form of the buttocks, or we're saying that, what if they have a bubble butt and their butt just sticks out? I, we have bubble butts. Like, no matter what I wear, I can wear boot-cut Wranglers, man. And it's still like, you got that booty, though. <laughs> like, I, it is what it is. I, I don't know what to say. I, so what level are we talking about? Also, I find it interesting that if we're saying the thigh equals nakedness, but yet this text here, it doesn't mention genitalia, it doesn't mention buttocks, it doesn't mention breasts. So. Hey, sound. You know, uh, it is. A, well, let's just go ahead and stick with this. It's a biblical commandment to adorn to adorn yourself in modesty. I agree. You know, so adorning yourself in modesty would avoid wearing things that are sexually suggesting as a part of that. Yeah, we're just I was disagreeing know, so on the preferences the of that modesty. Yeah, that's all we're disagreeing okay. on. So, look, God is not the author of confusion here. I agree. I mean, just fuck mm -hmm. just, just. I mean, I put it to you this way. I mean, uh, if, if if any red-blooded heterosexual male is going to go, howunga, hey, you know, put some more clothes on, toots. Oh, that's well, quite a standard to put on women. That yeah. Um, are, are, do, were you? Were, do you remember when you were a teenage a boy? A girl could walk by a completely covered, wearing baggy clothes, but if she was attractive, you were still like, "Hey, how you doing?" Like, <laughs> like think it, of the song, the music video Amish Paradise, where the guy or the kids looking at a at a at a magazine and it's just showing someone's. I mean, I think you're basically <laughs> saying that women, like the way someone dresses, they're suddenly responsible for somebody else's lust. That's what I feel like we're like passing the buck, and I just don't. It might, well, and does it apply Apostle the, way, Paul the other way? In, uh, Apostle Paul in First Corinthians, uh, where is it here? I just. Kind of funny. I did something crazy. I planted a church preaching verse by verse through First Corinthians. Man, it was like fornication one week. Uh, Welcome to chapter five. <laughs> I'm getting comfortable. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Y'all were sleeping here. with your mother-in-law. Shame. <laughs> yeah, there's more to it than funny, that. He, there was also funny how he didn't call them reprobates and uh, heretics and blasphemers, even though that they were a very struggling church who had a very obvious sexual sins. Just throwing that out there. Just. just Throwing that hand grenade in the room. And Paul was assassinated. Hey, wait one. I'm an independent fundamental Baptist. Hyperbole is one of our blessed God religious traditions. Oh, all, <laughs> all jokes aside, Nathan, what we want from you is is we just want encouragement, right? We're we're trying to follow what Paul says and to encourage you into examining the truth of text. And that's honestly the big point of, of the rebuttal in this interview. I'll tell you this way. You know, when the you know, Jesus said that that his yoke is light, it's not hard being a Christian. 
And I mean, it's, I'll put it to you this way. If a woman wears a long skirt, I mean, that's not really much of an inconvenience. Not at all. I mean, uh, but just to put things in context. Unless it's icy though. If, and, and look, the culture is so wicked today that I mean, you know, like, you know, some whoremonger is just going to go like, oh, sh you know, uh, she's frumpy looking. She's one of those weird Christian girls. You know, whereas if a woman dresses, walks out, you know, dressed in spray on britches and one of those blouses that, uh, you know, that shows too much chest or whatever, you know, I mean, uh, the whoremongers don't come up. You know, uh, you know, he's gonna send the bartender in his his assignment okay. for crying. As out. a guy who got saved at seventeen and used to do a little bit of the party style, I could actually say that's not necessarily true. Uh, a lot of guys looked at the girls. Uh, I mean, this is subjective. It's just person to person. But a lot of them looked at them Christian girls as the ones that were the fun ones because once you got them, they I mean, you hear it all the time, like oh the the mo the the modest Christian girls are the freaks or whatever. Like there's a lot of statements like that. Bottom line, whoremongers are gonna be whore whoremongers are gonna whore. Okay. Like if you're if you're lustful, you're going to be lustful, and it doesn't matter whether someone is fully covered or uncovered. Lustful is lustful. Uh, but nonetheless, it, it's a Bible command to, to adorn yourself in modesty. Which it's usually it's like to the heart a lot there. Like if your heart's correct, then you then most everything else will flow from that. But it, I know a lot of people's hearts are correct, and they still don't have a problem with their women in britches. And does it does it switch switch the other way? So if like a guy is wearing a nice suit, and the girls like. Awuga, in your words, right? Is that is is he causing her to sin? Because the suits tend to be form fitting. They also bulk up the man's shoulders, make him look more sexually appealing in such a way. I look great in a suit. Just saying. you do look good in a suit, Brian. <laughs> I just don't wear it very often. <laughs> like so, I, so that's why I'm like that's why I'm saying this becomes wildly subjective. And I think we're we're now we're getting to such a nitty gritty that we're saying that certain things are sin and certain things are from the pit of hell and all these different things because we're taking one little area of Isaiah 47 when it's not even talking about such a topic, we're running with it. And then we're saying, well, if somebody wears something like this, they're sexualizing everything. But then it's like, okay, now we have to ask the question, what level of that? Cause I'm sorry, I have a butt. So you're going to see, unless I wear a skirt, which I'm sure you'd take issue with. So uh, I like I take issue with that. I'd have to wear like, or like you could wear those like Victorian things where they put little cages underneath it, and then you don't see those any form of anything. Really hard to and sit down in. Else, I mean, and, and and everything's cultural, but then the Bible has to trump culture. In fact, yeah, which is like, why the Bible doesn't uh, speak about this. But but it does. Adorn yourself in modesty. Yeah, modesty it is, is a general claim. It's not it's not specific. I think this is where we do have some common ground, Nathan. Is we agree on the modesty part. We're just saying that the modesty is subjective by culture. It is subjective by preferences. And I think it's legalistic if we apply our preferences on other people. Actually, I wanted to speak to that real quick. My old pastor, uh, you, hey, he's an independent fundamentalist, uh, same as you. So, um, so my old pastor, he was a missionary uh, to South Africa, and he said it was one of the hardest things that he had to get used to because if a baby was crying, for example, in the middle of service, one of the women was and breastfeed the baby right there. No one thought anything of it because culturally the breasts weren't considered sexual. They were considered pra practical. You come into Western society and other, other societies, it's considered sexual, but not in all societies. So what point is that? So I'm not, I'm not saying so women should be dismissive of the culture. I'm just saying we, when we're just drawing this hard line from our preferences or from our culture, uh, we get legalistic. And, that, well, and we're starting to speak over the text because the text just says, has a general claim speaking to its cultural issues and has a general claim of modesty. It doesn't speak nitty-gritty to all these things. So we're saying things are sinful and the Bible doesn't. We're stepping over the bounds of Scripture, thereby legalistic.
Okay, so uh, the, first off, the Bible trumps culture. Second of all, exactly. I'm even, I'm even going to go so far as to say, and, and I want to point this out here, I love the Founding Fathers, respect the Founding Fathers of this country, but at the same time, I don't think that their way of dressing even meets biblical standards. You know, I, I, I don't think that, like, biblical... What's biblical standard? You know, where they wore, like, the... The, the leg, you know, the, the britches that were cut off, like at the uh, right under the knee, and wore the socks, so, and uh, they were all tight fit. I don't think that was appropriate. Real in quick. fact, uh, in fact, Henry the Eighth, Henry the Eighth, literally shaved decades off of his life because he insisted on wearing these tight socks that caused him never to recover from gangrene because he wanted everybody to see his muscular calves. Uh, you know, so. I'm, there's there's obvious principles that we can apply here. So that, it's wrong I mean, to show your if your calves are muscular, should you never show them? Like you can't wear shorts. I'll just say this: he was obviously trying to impress people with right. his like a and, suit. and if if you were spiritually speaking, like Henry VIII's cause of death was vanity. Which is like why modesty is a is a thing of the heart. The Bible speaks about modesty being modest in your heart and talks about that. But, meaning that, again, not to be prideful and show your vanity to everybody. That's what Paul was primarily driving at. So now again, God is not the author of confusion here. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now the whole—I mean, the Holy Ghost is the Holy Ghost is not going to convict somebody of one moral standard and another person of a completely contradictory moral standard. Because I mean, uh, at the end of the day, God's not the author of confusion here. Uh, because if you okay, so if one person saying the Holy Ghost convicted me of this, you know, and another person saying the Holy Ghost convicted me of something completely opposite, and it's regarding the same issue, somebody else, somebody's getting something, somebody's getting it from somewhere yeah, else. Truth, truth is absolute and st and static; others, it is, it's unchanging. I think we do have a lot of agreement there. We would we would condemn a lot of progressive Christians who will use that that tactic and say, the Holy Spirit told me this is okay. Yeah, I felt this was okay. Or also people who take verses out of context and try to stretch the text to mean more than what they that, what they do. Progressive Christians well, do it all the time, just like we're doing in Isaiah 47, when we're saying, that, oh, well, it's not actual little virgin daughter, and we're not referring it to, the, to showing your hair, but we will take it to the nth degree with legs and form of legs and thighs. Uh, we're, we're stretching context. That's the point. And um, so we've already established we've already established that there's a certain look that is uh, revealing of what somebody's body looks like. You know, sort of like vanity. the commercial. And and and, and okay, yes, it's vanity. We're talking it's about yes. so intense. And even if the neck, and, you know what? And that's the beauty of it. I mean, I personally still think that the, that the Isaiah 47 principle applies, but I still got vanity and modesty to go back to. You know, so I think we can move on well, from well, this. Isaiah, Isaiah 47, I don't think works because, again, it's stretching the context. But I will say this yeah, when I, it comes to uh, modesty issues, it's referring to vanity. So, like, people who go out and dress a certain way for visual attention or wear suits for visual attention, it's not being modest because you aren't being humble. It's the, it's the exact uh, opposite of, of that. So you're, you know, you're, you're showing yourself off. But the thing is, is that that's different than somebody showing a thigh because they're wearing shorts for practical purposes. So I think when we're sitting there, we're applying motives here, and that's why Paul speaks primarily about oh, modesty of the heart. It's nonetheless, it's nonetheless immodest to uh, wear these, pra I mean, because modesty is 
multifaceted, you know, as many words are, uh, go back to our wine conversation. But anyway, long story short, I'm actually going to agree with you in this respect. Maybe going forward, I probably should stick to the modesty and vanity angle a little less than, I mean, I don't exclusively rest my head on the Isaiah 47 thing. I mean, I'm only going back there because it was uh, the point of contention. I think we've at least evolved and uh, in this thing, and from now on, I'm going to get beach all over the head with modesty and vanity, and a little less on the Isaiah 47. How's that? Yes, I, and, I, I'm good with that. And respect. Actually, I'm, <laughs> I can respect I'm that. Or, and, I, and, and I'm going to concede another point to you here, which is I am an honest preacher, which means by necessity I'm forced to buy my suit jacket to Salvation Army, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, my suits are... It, I mean, you know, you can find some nice stuff there. It's not form-fitting. I mean, you're never going to look like uh, a millionaire wearing your. Oh no, there was one suit, suit you had that was like this, like light-colored, stripy one that I was kind of like, that's kind of dope. I'm, I'm, I'm into that. <laughs> oh, I know which one that was. There was uh, that was that was a uh, Perry Ellis uh, white tuxedo, and uh, I can respect and, that. Uh, yeah, so I mean, Harry Ellis White. And that's where, no. so for me, whenever, sorry, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I was well, I was looking to close up here because actually we went we're far over time more than I expected. Um, yeah. So, but no, this is this is good. Uh, and honestly, uh, you know, I'm glad we were able to find some common ground. Um, I think we it was a lot e easier for us once we got into the textual issues um, and discussed. Uh, oh, did we lose them again? Uh, Nathan, uh, Pastor Nathan, R middle initial rager uh appreciate we talked about that in the pre-interview for those who are watching or listening wondering what in the world we're talking about there the, the middle initial makes you more distinguished but thank you for being willing to come on and have this discussion uh one of the few people who are willing to put themselves out there and though we disagree i think you know um yeah we disagree on quite a bit we have found out but we also found out that we can find common grounds in between us in various areas too so uh, if nothing else people shouldn't shy away from having hard conversations that you know they might not want to have so anyhow, um, Pastor R. Rager, Nathan R. Rager, is there real quick, my final question I always ask people is how do you believe, and let's keep this brief, but how do you believe that your ministry can help unite a divided body? All right. So uh, let God be true and every man a liar. I'm going to go to the word on this. Romans 16, uh, 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Uh, quite simply, think of it this way. When for over 350 years people were using a King James Bible, and then all of a sudden uh, the, the uh, Westcott and Hort put out their modern Bible perversion, and all the modern Bible perversions are based on it. The, the people using the King James are not divisive. It's the people using the modern perversions that are divisive. Oh, uh, when, oh, when, okay. when, when people have been singing hymns all this time, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, you know, Pastor, Pastor, Pastor Sock Rockets or whatever comes in and tells all the, in, in, who doesn't even have a soul winning program, but tells all the old folks that they're not spiritual because, uh, 
because uh, they didn't like it that he covered up the piano with a tablecloth and put a keyboard in front of it, that he got rid of the pulpit of wood and replaced it with a music stand, oh, that he put on a feminine little rock concert singing Jesus My Boyfriend crap. You know, uh, it's not the people who want to stick to the old past that are being divisive. You know, it's this, uh, it's this worldly stupidity junk. You know, Romans 12, chapter... Two, two, questions, uh, two questions real quick. Can you define yeah. uh, what, what you mean by worldly? Worldly. Okay, so basically think of it this way. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And be, ne and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove w what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So what is your motivation for wanting to go contemporary and get off the old paths? I mean, because at the end of the day, you're looking more like the contemporary world and less like church. Uh, and then what is can you can you define what you mean by old paths? Are we talking about 1600s, 1500s, yeah, 1500 BC? This is where well, like, when people say old paths. So, it's like that is the vaguest and I'll say dumbest term because there's a lot of old paths, man. Well, okay, so let me just put it to you this way. Obviously, old paths isn't referring to the Catholic Church. Because, I mean, like, you know, Jesus said, call no man father. Jesus said, you know, one mediator. Uh, Jesus, you know, told people not to wear long robes and to fleece widows, which that kind of stuff was actually deleted from the modern Bible perversions, by the way, for strategic purposes by the Catholic Church to put out these uh, forged, uh, you know, fraudulent texts. <laughs> but okay. uh, anyway, uh, I mean, but even that, even that being said, I don't really know what, like, early church, like, first century music would have sounded like, but I know this. You know, we have some hymns going back to the Celtic Church in the pre-Catholic days in the 500s. The Gregorian chants didn't even come around until the uh, 800s A.D. So, I mean, hymns are more old paths than the uh, than the Gregorian chants. Uh, we got some the, the, the hymns are slightly hymns did become super popular until about the 1700s. I just want to make sure we clarify. So you're saying you're saying like first century is old paths. Well, I'll put it to you this way. We don't really know what they had to work with there. And, and, and in all honesty, a lot of it can be culture, too. Exactly. Like, for example, so, so, so somebody, so musical culture, for example, people know, write what they know, right? So why can't just a more modern sound just be applying to their this modern culture, just like hymns were from the 1700s culture? I know we were supposed to be closing, but this is just something that bugs me. It just doesn't make sense. It seems oh, like we draw arbitrary well, lines. I mean, uh, you know, I'll put it to you this way. Like, in Hawaii, service in Hawaii. It was independent fundamental. And they were singing hymns on the little like ukulele thing, right? And in like the Hawaiian style, I mean, it wasn't what we would do here. It was sort of culturally relevant there, but it wasn't like worldly. They weren't having like a luau. They didn't bring women up in grass skirts and bikini tops to, you know, uh, do that stuff. It was just a ukulele and they were wearing like, you know, uh, khakis with flowered shirts. So singing like 10,000 Reasons but would be culturally relevant. Shirt here to preach. I mean, there's obviously that's not really you know dress clothes in America. There's a gimmick that Rick Warren was trying to do when he did that. I'm, I'm still so confused, though, Nathan. That, first century is old paths. <laughs> okay, I, I'm I'm discussing I'm discussing specifically you know uh, be and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? What you have to examine, like. Where did this tradition come from? Why do we do it? And even if it's cultural relevance, what, where in the culture does it come from? You know, so like but if you get what, like... What that verse is referring to, though, 
is separation from the sinful nature of the world. That's what you're being transformed from, is the sinful nature of the world, not cultural issues. Okay, so uh, uh, what, what did you just say there? Can you repeat that again? Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. yeah. Uh, hey, when it's talking about being separated from the world, it's talking about separation from the sinful nature of the world. That's what you're being transformed from. So not talking about cultural issues, not talking about, well, this music style is more culturally relevant. Because music, even worship music, uh, if you go if in the modern realm, has changed from now to early 2000s to the 90s. Oh, my word. Remember the early, the early 90s Christian music? And then the 80s and the 70s. Yeah. And then you go back into the 40s. All of them have different styles to them that are culturally relevant for those times because people write what they know, they want to get creative, and so music evolves and changes over time. So if we're saying that suddenly we're drawing the line at 21st century music, and then we're, we're it's an arbitrary line that we can't pull from biblically and we're pulling from but, culturally instead. But with hymns, there, there's a tradition, that we have a tradition that we can trace with hymns, okay? Uh, to now, a degree. And, and, and I think you, I think you would admit that, like as we've discussed, you know, hymns, you know, from what you know, you can find a few that actually trace back that are older than the tradition of Gregorian chants. Oh yeah, we have some yeah. really old songs. Uh, yeah, we're not arguing that they're okay, written for the culturally relevant times. And, Absolutely. And you made the point in your, uh, you made the point in your, uh, in your, in your broadcast about like you know, oh, Celtic music is catchy. I think most likely, and I wanted this would take a lot of research. And I'm willing to do it. It would just, I haven't had time to do it. It would take a long time. I suspect that a lot of our religious traditions in the old paths world would probably easily be dated back to the Celtic church. And, and I think that really bears out because, you, you know, it was like uh, Anglo-Celtic peoples who settled Appalachia. So I, I think that's I think that would actually make a lot of sense to me personally. Oh, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of musical parallels yeah. to to that, even with Southern gospel. Right, and I and I think that's probably what I, I think. I look. I think if you were to date back old paths, I mean, you know, I, I it, it's kind of like the Trail of Blood. I mean, there's a history of Baptistic groups, but you can't really trace it because it was persecuted remnants all over the place. Yeah, no kidding. You know, but you know, but that being said, at the same time, I think that's kind of how it is with tracing the old paths, that there's like a little bit of stuff from like writings of St. Patrick believing in faith alone, and then some like ancient Celtic hymns, that I think there's enough there that you can say that sort of what we identify as old paths is sort of like a throwback in some ways to the, the pre-Catholic Celtic church in Ireland and Scotland. You know, I mean, I'm just thinking off the top of my head. It would take a lot of research that would, to prove that. That would still I'm be just thinking, that would still logical, be cultural. Not logical. It, yeah, it's cultural, but what I'm describing is logical, and I'm not even binding any other culture to that. But I mean, like in Italy, uh, it, in fact, I would even say this: people criticize Independent Fundamental Baptists for trying to impose our culture on foreign mission fields. But I mean, like we could easily adapt to the Hawaiian culture with that sort of like doing the hymns and the ukulele or whatever, you know, going over to Spain or Italy or Germany, that there's like, you know, musical instruments over there, traditional folk instruments that would be easily translatable and it would be far closer to what we do in the old paths crowd than it would be to the CCM. I mean, the CCM stuff would really in a lot of ways be imposing if you imposing like American pop culture on Europe, kind of like they and, did with the Celtic culture, the Celtic pop culture, they applied at the church or Germany during like Mozart's time during like 1769. 
wait, what was that? So, like, Mozart during the 1700s, you know, he he produced different music. So all, your music, even from the what you identify as old paths, which is kind of it sounds subjective and a little arbitrary. Um, if I admit that it's subjective. That's okay, the, that's so the then if then it's hard for us to sit there and say that something is from the pit of hell if it's subjective. Well, not necessarily, because number one, you have to examine like where. But God's truth from. is objective, not subjective. But but where did it come from? Like for example, where did uh, Celtic music like, come from? Pagans. Uh, okay, let me just let me just address this. Like say for example, a lot of this CCM stuff, like this like this whimpering, whining, breathy. I want to lay at your feet, rest my head against your chest, and feel your heart. Is it sinful like, to sing in a whisper? All we, have, like, all we have to do is go 100 years in the future, and then that will be old paths. <laughs> yeah, and 100 years from now, that's, that's going to be old school. All the more reason to dig in on the old-time religion now. What do you so mean by old-time have religion? Are we talking about like the 1980s? That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Is that we're just, it's just be older. Yeah, it's just we're constantly shifting. Like It's like we it's almost like you're taking history and going, okay, music and culture, bam. Early, you know, mid-70s, 80s and America, but everything else is from the pit of hell because of what it's connected to. But if you go back into even hymns, a vast majority was uh, German, like German hymns. Uh, and also their folk songs that they yeah. sing at taverns and whatnot all come from this. And same with uh, Irish music, came from pubs and whatnot. And then it flowed into the church. Or Mozart, for example, where he created all the parts that we sing today and a lot of stuff was considered worldly. And now today, we think he's great. So I just find it weird that we're drawing weird arbitrary lines and kind of pigeonholing in a certain time in history and saying, that's the proper, that's the old paths. Um, and, and, and I think, I hope you understood this because what I was trying to get across here is that you can't necessarily do that, but there's a general principle that you can apply, which is as you watch the culture get more and more wicked, more and more quickly, where, I mean, and, and I think, and, and anybody who's born again can see this, oh, that man. there has been a quickening of immorality. There has been a quickening of cultural revolution in the last hundred years, especially in the last like 60 years, really. I think it just depends uh, but, on the culture you look at. Yeah. You look at China, China's having a blossoming of, of Christianity. So when they look at 50 years ago, they look at, okay, it was all secular. So I think it's, I think that's even subjective. And even if we go farther back to take some points from you, Sodom and Gomorrah was a terrible place. Go back to the time of oh, Noah. It was so bad. There was only one family that was, that was worthy enough to even put on the boat and save the human race. Or medieval Europe. There's a lot of quote-unquote Christian things going on in medieval Europe, but horrible things as well. I mean, there's been horrible things all throughout history. Um, but anyway, we do not have time to go through everything as we'd like, so we're going to have to actually close it up. Um, but I really appreciate you being willing to come on, uh, Pastor Rager. Thank you for uh, being willing to have this dialogue. We appreciate it. And uh, if anyone, of course, hasn't already, go ahead and like and subscribe to The Church Split. And you all take care. Thank you so much.